Welcome to River City 360, views and news from around Winnipeg. My name is Robert Zirk. My co-host Nolan Bicknell is away this week. On today's show, we're talking about learning and living. One of the 10 Vital Signs 2017 categories from the recently released report on the needs and trends in our city. Up first, I'll be joined by Lisa Del Col from Level, an organization that works across Canada to change lives through law. And we'll talk about the Indigenous Youth Outreach Program that's set to launch in Winnipeg in the new year. We'll also speak with Shirley Grierson, the Executive Director of Artisan Healthcare Manitoba, to find out about its new art donation initiative that, through these new artworks, will help make clinical care experiences better for patients and visitors. Then, the Women's Canadian Club of Winnipeg celebrated its 110th anniversary on November 29th, and its president, Roberta Popoff, will join us to look back at the organization's 110 years. We'll also speak with Roshini Cassie, Manager of Volunteer Community at the Institute for Canadian Citizenship, to talk about how the organization promotes inclusion and is engaging new Canadians. And earlier this week, the Winnipeg Foundation awarded its Graduate Awards in Canadian History. We'll speak with the Foundation's Student Awards Specialist Jennifer Arhus and award recipient Erin Yaremko to learn more about the awards and about the Friends of Our History Fund, which generates these awards. We've got all this, some great tunes, and much, much more on today's episode of River City 360. Hello and welcome to River City 360. Robert Zirk here with you today. And uh, as I mentioned a few moments ago, my co-host Nolan Bicknell is away this week. He actually is in New York City. He's been in New York City um, for most of the earlier part of this week, shooting a short documentary project, which I'm sure he'll tell us a little bit more about when he comes back. It's a really great opportunity, and uh, we look forward to seeing the uh, finished product and wish you a safe uh, rest of your time in New York, Nolan, and we look forward to having you back on next week's show. We've got a full show today. Uh, I don't know if you could tell from the intro, but we've got a lot of stories to get to. So you know what? Let's just get right to it. And uh, seeing as how my co-host is in the Big Apple right now, how about we start the show off with some Frank Sinatra, New York, New York, right here on River City 360. Start spreading the news. I'm leaving today. I want to be a part of it, New York, New York, these vagabond shoes are longing to stray right through the very heart of it, New York, New York. A city that doesn't sleep And find I'm king of the hill Top of the heap These little town blues Are melting away I'll make a brand new start of it In old New If I can make it there, I'll make it anywhere. It's up to you, New York, New York. Hey, 
in a city that never sleeps and find I'm a number one top of the list king of the hill a number one these little town blues Welcome back to River City 360. Robert Zirk here with you today, and I am now joined by Lisa Del Call. She is the Director of Programs at Level, and we're going to be learning a little bit more about Level today and their Indigenous Youth Outreach Program. Lisa, thank you so much for joining me today. Thanks for having me. The motto of Level is changing lives through law. Can you tell us a little bit about Level and the organization in general, what it does? Sure. So our mission is to level barriers to justice by disrupting prejudice, building empathy, and advancing human rights. And we do this through two cornerstone programs. One is our specialized Indigenous youth outreach program, which we call IOP. And the other is uh, human rights advocacy, which includes research and events that are facilitated in part by level student chapters at 10 law schools across Canada. And so the the goal of that program, we give them a, a centralized human rights theme every year. So for instance, we've in the past, we've had refugee rights, women's rights, and, and those types of things. And this year, the, the theme is advancing reconciliation in the justice sector. Talking a little bit more specifically about the Indigenous Youth Outreach Program, I understand it's been running since 2012 under its former name, Dare to Dream. Can you tell us a little bit about how and why the program got started? Yeah, so it started in as a pilot in Toronto in 2012, as you said. And the the rationale behind the program, I think it's... it's uh, become fairly evident in, in today's society that Indigenous people across Canada have been subject to a more colonial education system. And with that, there's also the lasting impact of residential schools and other settler policies that have left a legacy uh, to this day. So we felt it was really important to try to disrupt these injustices, I guess you can say, and to give youth an opportunity to interact with the law in a positive and empowering way. And so that's how we started this program. Can you give me a kind of an idea of the sorts of activities that youth participate in? Sure. So IOP is a justice education and mentorship program. And what we do is have a a local program leader. He's usually a law student at one of the local law schools who facilitates the program. And that leader will recruit volunteers to come into the classroom and engage in uh, justice education programming with the youth. And we also incorporate Indigenous pedagogy into our program. Um, so we have things such as smudging, the use of the eagle feather in court, uh, and a, a focus on restorative justice. So we do a mock sentencing circle. Generally speaking, the program takes place over about the course of three months. 
and has volunteers going into the classroom every two weeks for about an hour and a half each session and working through a criminal mock trial activity. So we do a little bit of background on uh, the criminal Canadian criminal justice system as it is and uh, give them an overview of who the key players are, what the process is, and then we prepare them to actually take on the roles of people who are in court. So we have uh, students who act as Crown Counsel, we have students who act as Defence Counsel, we have a court clerk, um, we have jury members. Um, so all the students are engaging in a different different way in the materials and the lawyers work with them to prepare for that mock trial. And we often have an actual judge come in and sit and uh, preside over the hearings. It's like learning through doing, basically. You know, they get a chance to take on these roles and see the justice system in action in a way that a textbook can't really illustrate. Yeah, definitely. It's a definitely experiential focus, and uh, it's a lot more engaging uh, for youth to, to learn. And uh, it's really amazing seeing these youth start off uh, shy and a little bit reserved. And then once the mock trial comes around, they get into that competitive spirit and they really take on those roles. And often, uh, I, I, I joke that they're often even better than the lawyers I see in court. <laughs> so have Having coordinated this program in other provinces, so as you mentioned, it began in Toronto. There's also been programming in Saskatchewan and Alberta, Mm -hmm. and uh, the Winnipeg one is set to launch uh, early next year in 2018. But from the existing programming, can you speak to the response from some of the participants? What have they relayed about their experiences and how has it kind of changed them? Yeah, we have uh, feedback every year from the students and it's generally have been has been very positive. And I think the most impactful stories we hear are from students and teachers and sometimes even parents who talk about how the child or their, their son or daughter has been inspired by the program and decided that they wanted to pursue a career in law. So I think that's something that's that's really impactful and has really given us the, the motivation to keep going and, and to, to continue working and to continue to expand and to improve and really hit that uh, objective that we have. Absolutely. And it's it's kind of like how, as you mentioned, when the youth are getting so passionate about it, it opens a door that maybe wasn't really there before. But when they get that chance and they discover, you know, like maybe this is something that I really feel passionate about and something that I want to pursue either directly by going right into law or maybe just standing up for, for different various rights. Mm-hmm. And it's it's common, I think, with, with all youth that when they hear they're about to learn about law, I think they automatically get a little bit of a negative thought process when they when they first hear they think it might be boring uh, specifically with indigenous youth and the overrepresentation of indigenous people in the criminal justice system as it is there's there's some youth who don't necessarily have a positive experience with the law so when we come in to to deliver this program there's obviously some some apprehensions from some youth but it's all about building those relationships. And when they're building the relationships with the volunteers, uh, they're getting a more positive experience with, with the justice system and they're really getting excited and, and really engaged in the materials. So if people are interested in learning a little bit more about Level and about the different programs that Level offers, where mm-hmm. can they go to get more information or to, uh, to keep updated on what Level's doing here in Winnipeg? For sure. Uh, That's a great question. So we have a website, which is leveljustice.org. On that website, we have a blog about the recent activity. And we're also on Twitter at Level Justice and on Instagram at the same handle. Um, So people can keep in touch with us through those various ways. I'd actually really like to add uh, our great appreciation to the Winnipeg Foundation. Without their support, we wouldn't have been able to launch the program in this location. So we're very grateful for their support.
Excellent. Well, thank you very much, Lisa Del Cole, the Director of Programs at Level, for joining me and uh, sharing more information about Level and the Indigenous Youth Outreach Program. Thanks for having me. Coming up after the break, River City 360's Stacey Cardigan-Smith spoke with Shirley Grierson, the Executive Director of Artists in Healthcare, to talk about a new art donation program that launched earlier this week. But before we get to that, here is Bill Badgley with a lot of living to do, right here on River City 360. Welcome back to River City 360. Robert Zirk here with you today. Art collectors out there, listen up. If you're downsizing and you don't know what to do with your valuable collection, there's a new program that may be just the answer. RC360 Stacy Cardigan-Smith went to the launch of the art donation program for healthcare facilities at the Grace Hospital earlier this week. This program allows people to donate their art and receive a tax receipt. Stacy sat down with Shirley Grierson, the executive director of Artisan Healthcare Manitoba, which is sponsoring the program. The program was initiated by Gary Sherbane, the owner of the Wausau Gallery, who was retiring his commercial space and had a lot of beautiful art that he decided to donate. He was looking, I think, online at different 
donation programs to different hospitals, and we sort of worked together on, well, he generated the concept, created a brochure, he's gone to every foundation in the city, either by email or by phone or in person, and met with them to say, we have a new art and hospital donation program, would you like to put your logo on our brochure? And basically we're like the open door for a gallery or a collector to donate art to the facility of their choice. Why is there a need for this kind of program? Our mandate or our vision is to see all of the arts incorporated into healthcare to improve, it improves everyone's experience, right? So we've had patients walk in for their first chemo treatment and walk over to the musician. We had one gentleman do this last summer to one of our musicians and just say, it's my first time I'm coming for treatment. I was really stressed and anxious about this, but now that you're here playing, I feel like it's all going to be fine. Musicians and artists in healthcare give you a distraction. It's almost like talking to your hairdresser. They're people that aren't medical. They're not family, so they're not really invested and anxious about you. They're just neutral. And you can have a conversation, you can request different tunes from the musicians. In, in terms of visual art, it just gives you something beautiful to look at. And the thinking is that when you're looking at a piece of art, your mind isn't worrying about why you're in the hospital. Right, okay. It's pretty simple. So why would somebody choose to donate their art through this program? Um, you might be downsizing from your family home of 30 years and moving into a condo and have art that your kids don't want. Um, we've had that discussion at our board level with board members going, you know, we have art that our kids are not remotely interested. So it gives you an opportunity to do something good with your art and you, if you're interested in a tax receipt, it's tax receipted through a charitable organization. So it's a win-win, really. It totally is a win-win. Okay. Yeah. And tell me a little bit more about some of like the benefits. By looking at art, what happens to you? There's research on the relaxation response, which is a response induced by something that it has to do with that you're engaging different levels or different levels, engaging your brain with something that's positive. So it can cause your respiration to slow down, your heart rate can slow down. Um, generally, it's literally the relaxation response. So if you're looking at a beautiful image, it's going to cause your mind to, to sort of enter the image and in, engage with it. So when your mind is looking at the depth of that color, I was with a friend once who had a very difficult cancer diagnosis and it was in the last year of her life and we were going for a diagnostic treatment at St. Boniface and was something to do with a heart and as we're sitting in this waiting room someone had put up it, literally a photograph but it was life-size and wall-size and it was a forest and as Jill and I were sitting there you could see the light coming down through the trees and it, literally we didn't talk we sat there and we we looked at this forest we felt like we were in the forest so it's that kind of thing that changes your experience right right Wausau Gallery was focused on Indigenous art. Yeah. What kind of art are you looking for for this program? Can it be anything? Is there a focus on Indigenous art? It can be anything. It can be absolutely anything. What's unique about this is that the foundations have the opportunity to do what they want with the art. So if it's... Years ago, I was at a Society for the Arts and Healthcare conference, and someone was telling a story about a physician's wife had donated a piece of abstract art that they didn't want, and it, it was 
dark red and abstract and distressing and um, a patient stabbed it with a fork. Someone put it on a psych health unit. Go figure. Right? So if, if there's something that has value um, but isn't maybe what you want the feeling of on your hospital wall, you have other options. You can auction it. You can give it to one of your donors. So that's a great opportunity, right? really. It's a super opportunity. It could yeah. be. Yeah. yeah. You can make with it, make make up with it what they will, right? So it could be a, a, a sort of a new revenue stream for a foundation, right? Because healthcare fam- families that are committed to healthcare are often that's where they like to do their charitable giving. Mm-hmm. Other people support the arts, and this could allow for some bridging, right? Of people who have art or appreciate art. Well, and raising awareness too that it makes a difference in healthcare. Of course. So, what to if a, if a piece is going to be donated? What what needs to happen with it? As more people or more galleries start to donate, we will be establishing policies, and we might need a little working committee to. So, for example, if the Lock Gallery is gifting fifty pieces, but not to one specific healthcare facility, where does it go to? So we'll be working through that process as, as we Figure find it out. Read it, because it'll develop based on interest. For sure. And so if somebody has a piece that they're thinking, oh, maybe this would be a good fit, yeah. what should they do? They can go online to Artisan Healthcare, and the brochure is there. There's an example of a donation form that Gary's created. So contact us. And and you'll contact help. Gary, and we will find a way to help place it somewhere. That's great, and I know it needs to be framed with a glass frame, likely. It does, yeah. unless like Selkirk Mental Health Facility needs unframed, uh, unglassed art. Oh, well, there you go. Because it could it be dangerous be. in certain settings. Okay, but you'll yeah. help walk people through that, right? That is the goal. Perfect. Yes. Okay, well, anything else to add? No, we're just, we're, I'm, Gary's done an amazing job of initiating the program, and the grace has been fantastic in supporting the launch and we're just glad people came out perfect well thank you so much thank you thanks stacy and thank you to shirley grierson the executive director of artisan healthcare manitoba now thanks to this exciting new program nine healthcare facilities including the grace hospital a port in the storm and pan am clinic will soon be featuring art on their walls so this is a wonderful program and to learn more about it you can head to artisanhealthcare.com After the break, my co-host Nolan Bicknell had the chance to speak with Roberta Popoff of the Women's Canadian Club of Winnipeg in advance of their 110th anniversary. Uh, They actually celebrated their anniversary on November 29th, so yesterday. So a happy anniversary to the Women's Canadian Club of Winnipeg. And we'll learn a little bit more about the organization and its history right after this short break. Before we get to that, though, here is Easy Living by the Susie Arioli Band right here on River City 360. Living for you is easy living, it's easy to live When you're in love, and I'm so in love There's nothing in life but you I'll never regret the years I've given were easy to give When you're in love And I'm happy to do whatever I do for you For you Maybe I'm a 
with one wave of your hand, darling, it's grand. They just don't understand that living for you is easy living. It's easy to live when you're in love, and I'm so in love. There's nothing in life but you. Listening to River City 360, Nolan and Robert here with you today, and we're now joined in studio by Roberta Popoff. She's the current president of the Women's Canadian Club of Winnipeg. Roberta, thank you very much for joining us today. You're welcome. It's lovely to be here. Well, it's lovely to have you. We wanted to talk because we're celebrating, to, well, yesterday, I guess, was the 110th anniversary of the WCCW, the Women's Canadian Club of Winnipeg. So happy birthday. That's pretty monumentous occasion. It is indeed. So tell me a little bit about the WCCW and and what you guys are all about. Well, I think the history, the beginning date is kind of interesting. Back in 1907, there was a definite division between men and women. Right. The men, of course, had the Men's Canadian Club. And in 1907, Rudyard Kipling, the British poet laureate, was here speaking. And he brought his wife. And his wife was handed over to the wives of the delegates. Right. In Winnipeg. Just to take care of for the, for the week or whatever. Yeah. And so anyway, a couple of the enterprising host ladies decided that they would go up to the gallery of the dining room where the men were meeting uh-huh. and took Mrs. Kipling, who had never been allowed to hear her husband speak in public. Wow. What a, what a difference in time, hey, and how that worked out. So th- to foster the Canadian spirit by conserving the traditions of the past and encouraging interest in the future is sort of the mantra of the WCCW. What exactly do you guys do when you get together? I understand you meet from September to May 
having luncheons and different speakers and stuff. So tell us about what happens when, when you girls get together. Well, that's exactly what we do. We now meet at the convention center once a month. We have lunch and we have a speaker. In the past, like 1927, would be in the height and there were 2,500 women that belonged. Just in Winnipeg? In Winnipeg. Oh, wow. Times have changed. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> well, groups like this don't really, you know, persist as, as definitely as long. And, and so why is it important to have these get-togethers and, and sort of keep these traditions alive? I believe it's because it's a social thing, partly, mm -hmm. but it also brings a Canadian perspective, be aware of what is going on in Canada, mm -hmm. what has happened in Canada. And now with the change in society, which happened, you know, in the 80s, women mm -hmm. went back to work. So I would say now that it's mostly a retired age group yeah. of people. Up until 2007, there was a national office. Mm -hmm. So once a year, all across Canada, coast to coast, would have, we'll call it a convention. And Winnipeg Women hosted the last one in 2007 oh. and after that, simply because of failing numbers, Just the numbers, the national office closed. And so now we provide our own speakers from the city of Winnipeg. Okay, cool. All very good. So what are, give me some examples of the types of uh, conversations and speakers that you've had um, at, at your get-togethers before. What, what are some noteworthy ones that you remember? Way back when the national office existed, they would send us four speakers from the East. Okay. We had Pierre Trudeau. Oh, wow. We had John Chrétien. Wow. There would be political, you know, on the speaker's tour, there'd be political people, just well-known Canadians. Yeah. Um, and then people that were well-known authors launching book reports. Cool. You know, that sort of thing. So what, what, what did the conversation sort of revolve around these days? What do you, what do you talk about? We've had a man from the University of Manitoba. Okay. And I remember that he did a very interesting talk on Santa Claus. Oh, how so? What was whether he exists or not? Or exactly. Oh, interesting. And usually once a year we have the Air Force Command Brass Band who oh, come, cool. you know, and entertain. Have us. a bit of a party. Mm -hmm. Why not? Uh, there's a group in Winnipeg called the Shoestring Players, mm -hmm. and they come and talk about their organization, put on a bit of a play. Nice. We've had the um, chief of police. So Inter uh, interesting. Yeah. We have interesting people in Winnipeg. Definitely. Well, I mean, part of my job, well, I'm, I get to talk to one right now, meeting interesting people in Winnipeg. Oh, right. How do you feel when you sort of get together with the girls and, and have these conversations and, and get to be social? How does that make you feel personally? It's enjoyable. Mm -hmm. And you get to know different people. And several of these ladies also volunteer at the um, citizenship court. That's oh, for one new of the things. For newcomers? And for new newcomers. Oh, you know, you're just kind of hosting. Right. And, and we do that. And we also had the opportunity to set up through the Winnipeg Foundation a annual bursary oh, nice. that we give to a student at the... Um, Clayton H. Rydell, Faculty of Environment, Earth and Resources, and that's at the University of Winnipeg. Um, cool. No, University of Manitoba. 
Very cool. It's kind of a it's it's really good to bridge different generations and and sort of combine mm-hmm. combine that two different eras and keep keep paying it forward in that sense. Mm-hmm. Uh, if someone's listening right now and they s- this sounds like something they'd be interested in getting involved in, because I know we have a lot of listeners that would probably enjoy getting together with the WCCW. Uh, how can they find more information and, and where can they go? They're more than welcome. Any woman is more than welcome to come and join. And phone number that I would suggest that would help them a great deal would be 204-663-5657. Perfect. And they can just call that for more information and learn about the next time you guys are getting together? Absolutely. Wonderful. Well, thank you, Roberta, for talking to us today about the Women's Canadian Club of Winnipeg. Happy 110th anniversary from the founding way back in or I guess 1907, right? right. Is my, I'm not very good at math, clearly. <laughs> 110 anniversary starting November 29th, 1907. So I guess that was yesterday. Happy birthday. Very Thank cool. you very much. Roberta Popoff, oh, sorry, Roberta Popoff is the current president of the Women's Canadian Club of Winnipeg. Really appreciate your time. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me. Thanks, Nolan, and thank you to Roberta Popoff for taking the time to speak with us about the Women's Canadian Club of Winnipeg. Stay tuned, we've got more River City 360 coming your way. We'll be speaking with Roshini Cassie of the Institute for Canadian Citizenship. Before we get to that, though, we're going to play a quick song. Here's Mel Torme with Learn to Croon right here on River City 360. If you want to win your heart's desire Sweet melodies of love inspire Romance Just murmur boo-boo-boo-boo-boo And when you do She'll answer boo 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 and nestle closer to you. Learn to croon, you'll eliminate each rival soon. If you're heading for a sunny honeymoon, learn to croon. Thank you. 
heart's desire Sweet melodies of love inspire Romance Just murmur boo 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 And when you do She'll answer boo 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 And nestle closer to you Learn to croon You'll eliminate each rival soon If you're heading for a sunny honeymoon Learn to Welcome back to River City 360. Robert Zirk here with you today. Earlier this week, 54 new Canadians were sworn in as Canada's newest citizens, and we had the chance to speak with Roshini Cassie, the manager of volunteer community at the Institute for Canadian Citizenship, to talk about how the organization is engaging new Canadians and promoting inclusion and belonging. My name is Roshini Cassie. I'm the manager of the volunteer community at the Institute for Canadian Citizenship. So the ICC is a nonprofit uh, and a charity, but a nonprofit founded by former Governor General Adrian Clarkson and Mr. John Rawson Saul. It was formed about uh, 2006, and um, so our whole mission is about inclusion and active citizenship. So hosting these community citizenship ceremonies is only one of the programs that we offer that kind of goes with that mission. But this is definitely a really important program that we do because we have these round tables where the citizens and their guests get to sit together and talk about um, their journey to citizenship, why they chose Canada, why they're proud to become Canadian citizens, what citizenship means to them, what active citizenship means to them, their hopes and dreams for Canada, the stuff that they don't like about Canada, the stuff that they want to do to make Canada a better place. Mm. Um, So we have the citizens, their guests, and then roundtable hosts who are members from the general community mm-hmm. to sit and talk together and to get to know one another. Um, so we do that for about an hour and then um, afterwards they have their, their official citizenship ceremony where they take the oath of citizenship, receive their certificates and become Canadian citizens. Yeah. And so it's a nice, meaningful and moving event because normal citizenship ceremonies, it's just the ceremony part where they just do the oath and boom, they're done. So it's nice to have this extra enhanced part the round tables. I'm so proud to be a Canadian now because all the people in here are very supportive, friendly, and you, you are, we are here in this place, comfortable place to stay.
In Canada, we do citizenship ceremonies. In other countries, they don't do ceremonies at all. Citizenship is not celebrated. And this is a really great way to welcome them into the Canadian family. And they get to meet other citizens. They get to meet other people in the community. Get to know their community a bit more. And just really make mark this as a milestone day for them. Hello, everybody. It feels great to be a Canadian because I'm free! It's important so that other Canadians can understand what citizenship means to people who had to really, really work for it, you know, um, and to not take it for granted. The ceremony part itself is very, is public, so we try to encourage as many Canadians as possible to come and witness and to just be part of the special day and realize like, oh yeah, it's more than just you know, eating Tim Hortons or whatever, right? <laughs> yeah. Like, it's voting, it's being involved, it's volunteering, it's, and what it, you know, how important it is, how lucky we are as Canadians that we live in Canada and we're citizens of Canada, as opposed to many other countries where citizenship means nothing, or that it's unsafe, or, you know, unequal, or that kind of thing. So, yeah, don't take it for granted. Yeah, thank you so much. You're very welcome. That's what I guess. So, what we like about Thanks very much to Roshini Cassie of the Institute for Canadian Citizenship for taking the time to speak with us. Coming up after the break, Sonny Primolo had the chance to attend the Friends of Our History Fund breakfast held by the Winnipeg Foundation on November 28th. While he was there, Sonny spoke with Jennifer Arhus, the Student Award Specialist from the Foundation, and Aaron Yuremko, a recipient of the Graduate Award in Canadian History, about the Friends of Our History Fund. So we'll learn a little bit more about that after this short break.
to River City 360. I'm Sonny Promolo, and on today's show, we'll be speaking about the Friends of Our History Fund, a fund by the Winnipeg Foundation that supports students pursuing graduate studies in Canadian history. Earlier this week, a breakfast was held at the Viscount Gort by the Winnipeg Foundation to make the announcement. I had the opportunity to attend the breakfast and also speak with Jennifer Arhus, Student Award Specialist from the Winnipeg Foundation, and Erin Yeremko, a recipient of the Graduate Award in Canadian History. Here is our conversation. Welcome to the show. Thank you for having us. Thank you. We're all looking forward to what you have to share with us. What is the Friends of Our History Fund? The Friends for History Fund uh, has been created by the Winnipeg Foundation uh, to support graduate awards in history for master's students studying Canadian history or history of Indigenous people in the joint master's program offered by the University of Manitoba and the University of Winnipeg. There's a number of awards uh, given out every year. Uh, last year was our first year giving out awards, and this year we were able to give out five awards at $3,000 each. I hear with the Friends of Our History Fund, the foundation has a special four key numbers approach. Can you explain that? Yes, uh, we need ambassadors for this program. Um, and the four key number approach, um, we're going to have th four different categories of uh, ambassadors for this program. For the 100 level, people can give $100 gifts or more in celebration of the Winnipeg Foundation's 100th anniversary. We also have another category of 1921, which will celebrate our uh, anniversary. Uh, the beginning of 1921 was when we were established. And then we have 2021, so we are thinking of having people give gifts of 20,021 uh, to, to celebrate the Foundation's upcoming centennial in 2021. And then we are hoping for gifts of over $100,000 to remember the original gift made by William Alloway, our founder, in 1921. History is important to all of us. Why is it specifically important to the Winnipeg Foundation? Uh, history for the Winnipeg Foundation and history for um, it's important for all of us, of course, and it's important to us to um, understand the community that we come from and all the donors that uh, contribute to the Winnipeg Foundation and where uh, we all come from. Um, it's important to understand um, the history of Canadians and Indigenous people and, of course, um, philanthropy as well. So I think it's important to bring that all back together. And for our 100th anniversary, what better way to celebrate that milestone? Absolutely. I hear Monday, April 26, 2021 is a big day for the Winnipeg Foundation. Why would that be? So April 26, 2021 is the Winnipeg Foundation's 100th birthday. We are planning on having a uh, celebration uh, again, like a breakfast such as this, to gather all of the donors and ambassadors that have contributed to this program, the Friends of Our History Fund, and hopefully celebrate uh, what we've accomplished from that fund. 
Erin is in the second year of the Joint Master's Program, currently at the University of Manitoba. Can you tell us what got you involved in Canadian history? What got me involved in Canadian history was the Oral History Centre and a specific prof named Dr. Nolan Riley. He gave me the nice little jab to go into the Oral History Program, which helped me to find my love of Canadian history and especially Indigenous history. Um, so really oral history is more of a hands-on form of history where you go and you speak to individuals and you learn from the people that you speak to more so than just learning from secondary sources. So that's really what pulled me into the area of history. And what occupation do you plan to pursue? Well, currently I am trying or I'm working in partnership with Northern Communities to create uh, accessible community archives. So the hope is to grow this into a larger project throughout the province. But I also hope to work in the area of community development um, as well as heritage and Parks Canada would be great. (laughs) You were one of the recipients of the Graduate Award in Canadian History. How has this scholarship helped you in your pursuit of your studies and what does the award mean to you personally? Well, this scholarship has really assisted me in working towards the goal of a partnership project with Northern Communities. Without funding like this, I wouldn't be able to do the work that I'm doing, especially with the Northern Travel. Um, So the Winnipeg Foundation and the amazing awards and grants that they give really assist communities and students like I to further these projects uh, and initiatives. And I heard you are actually just returning from one of those northern communities that you're in partnership with uh, to help create accessible community archives, if I'm correct. Um, That sounds pretty exciting. Could you tell us a little bit about your experiences? Yeah, so I'm actually, um, I... The week prior, I was uh, in the Chemawan First Nation, uh, just meeting with different elders in the community that we hope to include in the project. Um, I'm working directly with uh, the chief and council of the Chemawan First Nation to create this community archive so that it best suits the community. Um, this past week, I just returned from uh, Opipon Pewing Cree Nation, also known as South Indian Lake, um, where I'm working with the community association as well as Frontier School Division and their teachers in the community to create a community archive in their school that will most notably assist in the creation of community-based curriculum. So the archive will be used more so by teachers and students, um, as well as uh, elders in the community who wish to further the oral histories in the collection. That sounds like amazing work. After hearing about the Friends of Our History Fund just now, uh, what will having a special fund like this mean to future Canadian history students and other Manitobans in the future? I think that this fund can help students to continue work in growing the history and recreating the history of Manitoba, Canada, um, and the communities and families within this great country and province and city. Because we really have only brushed the top of history. We have so much history to still create, um, and we especially need to continue to work to Um, recreate our museums and our archives and these spaces that educate the further public on history. As mentioned earlier, the Winnipeg Foundation is gearing up for its centennial anniversary in 2021 and to celebrate, the Foundation's board has established the Friends of Our History Fund. I'd like to thank Jen Arhus, Student Award Specialist from the Winnipeg Foundation, and Erin Yeremko, Graduate Award and Canadian History Recipient, for joining me today. For more info on the Friends of Our History Fund and to get involved, Jen, where can people go? 
Certainly, you can uh, either give us a call at 204-944-9474 or check out our website. Uh, We have some information um, on there. And then we also have a four-page informational booklet that you can request and we can send that out to you. Thank you very much. Thank you for having me. Thank you. Thank you, Sunny, and thank you, Jennifer and Aaron. Well, we're just about nearing the end of today's program, but before we sign off for today, we're going to play I Got Rhythm by John Pizzarelli right here on RC360. I've got rhythm, I've got music, I've got my gal who could ask for anything more. I've got daisies in green pastures, I've got my gal who could ask for anything more. Oh, man, trouble, I don't mind him. You won't find him at my door I've got starlight I've got sweet dreams I've got my gal who could ask for anything more Who could ask for anything more <laughs> Thank you.
And that's a wrap on this week's episode of River City 360. Thank you very much for listening, and a big thank you to all of our guests for joining us this week. If you'd like to hear more views and news from around Winnipeg, listen to any of our past episodes, or subscribe to our podcast, you can visit our website online. The address is rivercity360.org. Again, that's rivercity360.org. River City 360 views and news from around Winnipeg is a project of the Winnipeg Foundation in partnership with 93.7 CJNU-FM. And we'd love to hear your feedback about the show. Please give us a call. Our number is 204-944-9474. Our listener line is open 24-7, so feel free to give us a call, leave us a message, let us know how we're doing, if there's a story idea maybe you have for a future show, or even if there's just a song that you'd like to hear, we would love to hear your feedback about the show. Again, the number to call is 204-944-9474. You can also reach us via email, rivercity360, that's the numbers 360, at wpgfdn.org. Or you can follow us on social media. We are RiverCity360 on Facebook. You can also follow at RiverCity360 on Twitter as well. I'm Robert Zirk, signing off for RiverCity360. My co-host Nolan Picknell will be back next week. Thank you again so much for listening, and we'll see you next week. Have a great day and a great weekend.